This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Hey. Oh, I love that sound. This is a good one. Welcome everybody to the Full Scale Outdoors Podcast. I am your host, Dale Luganville. Thank you very much for joining me. And a uh, happy new year to everybody. Um, yeah, we're already in, jeez uh, Louise, what's that? it's uh, January 9th. Good Lord. Starting the second week of the 2023 year already. Kind of crazy. All right, well, what's been happening up uh, in my neck of the woods is... Uh, not a lot, honestly. <laughs> well, I mean, if you've listened to the show, you you are well-versed in that I am wheelerless at the moment. Um, I still own one, just it's incapacitated would be the best way I could put it. It is currently sitting in a state of, uh, uh, what would be the term, uh, suspended animation. <laughs> <laughs> it's frozen in the mud, all right? I got it stuck on a trail in, uh, in the middle of the woods somewhere, an undisclosed location. Yeah, and that's just where that's where it's going to live. You've heard me talk about this already. Uh, but the funny thing is uh, I got a phone call from uh, the old DNR last week. Yeah, the local conservation officer left me a message on my phone uh, saying, hey, um... I got a uh, TV here registered to your name out in the woods. Uh, could you give me a call back? I was like, oh. So I call him back, and uh, I don't think he personally saw it, but he's had people call it in. Um, so, yeah, I was like, yeah, here's the deal. 
here's how it happened. Here's what I did to try to get it out. He's like, well, what's your plan? I'm like, well, I, I plan to get it out. Like, I'm, I'm not, I said, I didn't, I'm not leaving it there. Like, I want my, I want my four-wheeler back. <laughs> like, <laughs> trust me, I want my four-wheeler back. And like I told him, and I gave him my feeble attempt at getting it out, you know, with the putting the hub shelter up and running some heat and whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that that didn't do anything. I'm like, my, my plan is Mother Nature is going to have to help me out. So this spring, when it thaws out, he's like, well, just make sure you don't wait too long. And those spring rains come, it's it getting real soupy back there. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm – so trust me, when it, when it gets close, I'm going to be checking on that thing pretty frequently. I mean, the thing is, like, it's – it's pretty well shaded where it is. Like this trail through the woods is like deep in the woods. So it doesn't get a bunch of sunshine. So when stuff starts like in the opening here starts melting, um, <clears throat> that's going to be a time for me to start on a real regular basis to start checking on it. The thing is that because it doesn't get much sunshine, it's going to take like, <clears throat> it's going to take an extended period of time of like above freezing temperatures, like at night. For this to thaw out and the perfect window is going to be that when that first top layer thaws out but there's still some it's still frozen down deep where i'll be able to free up like <clears throat> the bottom of the the wheeler and hopefully into the the mud that's frozen in the hubs i can break all that loose that way i have like some this is my thought. I don't know how well it's going to work, but have something, some firmness to the ground for the tires to actually grip and get out. But then, of course, there is always the chance of the wheels just spinning, you know, wet mud on ice. That's going to be super slick. But, again, I'll have the, the big come along out there to, to pull it out. And maybe maybe if I'm lucky, I'll actually recruit some help and get another machine back there. That'd, even, that'd be better yet. Anybody got an Argo I can buy? Or borrow <laughs> that would be that's the machine to do it um so yeah my fishing has been limited I, i'm getting out but i'm i'm stuck to where i can walk to you know and lake superior big you know like the other day i went out here on on pelican and i walked out i walked quite a ways it wasn't a mile it was damn close um <clears throat> checked the spot caught a um uh, Caught one bluegill, found one nice crappie. It's like a 12-incher. That was kind of surprising. Um, just, again, every single hole I drill, I find perch. It blows my mind, the biomass of 4-inch perch in this lake. It's it's unbelievable. I'm pretty sure I could randomly walk and just stop without looking at a map, drill a hole, and regardless if it's 3 feet or 23 feet, i I would bet money that there's a, that I'll catch a four-inch perch there, because that's been I've been able to catch one in every hole so far. <laughs> I don't know why I feel like that would change. Like it's it's unbelievable. Um, and I've always said like crayfish is king on this lake like in the summertime. Anything that's crayfish pattern, like I've cleaned northern pike that have crayfish in their stomachs. I've even cleaned crappies that had little tiny crayfish in their stomachs. Like everything eats crayfish in this lake, but. I think I assume they also have to eat perch, or the fact that they are so keyed in on the crayfish—that's why there's so many little perch around because they're just not getting eaten. But that can't be because then you you would think there'd be um, bigger perch in there if the little ones weren't getting destroyed. So, man, I don't know, but there's a shit ton of those little perch out there. It's just—it's absolutely bonkers. The crazy thing was I 
uh, I was fishing with my schoolie and a little tiny ice fly with, uh, you know, a tungsten jig with a um, little scuttle, P3 plastic scuttle bug on it. I set the hook. I'm like, oh, that ain't a bluegill. <laughs> and I was fishing kind of in the weeds. Uh, pretty sure I knew it was a northern, you know, and I'm fighting this thing on my schoolie. And I had the brilliant idea of getting my phone out. I was going to record the fight, which that would have been easy enough. Just open the camera app, hit record, and go. But I had the brilliant idea of actually trying to go TikTok live, which uh, I I managed to fumble my way through TikTok, hit live, type in a title, and hit go or whatever, go live or whatever the button is. <clears throat> in the meantime, I'm just like got my arm way up and I'm holding tension on this fish. I think I got lucky because he buried himself in the weeds and he wasn't really moving a ton. And so I was able to actually get the camera set up, go TikTok live and start fighting this fish. It was nuts. So I, I'm able to land this fish. I get this fish up. It's not a big northern by any stretch of the imagination uh big enough for that setup though for that little schoolie rod and two pound test was you know pretty good got lucky it hooked him right in the tip of the snout and the line went over over his nose so it never was in his mouth uh and then caught that flap like this has happened to me numerous times it's just it's insane how lucky i get with these things and then um so i was able to land that one and so I, I put him back down there. Now I'm TikTok live, so I'm talking to the people. And I can see on my Vexlar, you know, the mark of that pike, just like he didn't take off. Like he's just slowly sinking to the bottom. So I'm like, oh, this hole is probably screwed, but whatever. So I went down, stripped out line, started dropping down there again. And as that northern pike is, is lowering itself to the bottom, another big mark shows up, and sure as shit, I hook another one. Like, immediately right after i was like no way while i'm tiktok live i was like no way this just happened so i'm fighting this one and i get it it's even smaller than the one before <clears throat> and same thing i hooked it in the tip of the snout the lines over his nose and around that side flap i'm like this is unbelievable how lucky i got with both these pike i i mean that's i can't believe i even fished the same hole again but it I don't know if those two were, like, rolling together or what the deal was, or he came over because of all the commotion. Maybe that's possible. I don't know. Um, but the other thing I didn't notice, that first fish I brought up, some nice green weeds. So that was good to see. I mean, it's been in my limited experience. Like, you get north. There's a certain line north, and it seems like in Minnesota, where, like, your panfish don't really hang out in the weeds anymore. Like they just they go to the basins and they school up out there. I don't know if that flips again at some point north because I'm way north, and I'm not finding these basin fish. I'm not finding schools. And again, I'm limited to where I can go. I pretty much can only walk out to places. Um, but I've drilled a fair amount of holes, and I'm not finding it. The the crappies and bluegills I'm catching are one here and one there. Like it's it's they're just they're scattered. It's crazy. And the bluegills. Curiously enough, I'm actually catching in a little bit shallower. Now, for some other unknown reason to do with the move and whatever, I have to. F I don't know where my underwater camera is because at this point, I kind of want to go ice diving. Like, I just want to see what's what I'm. I want to drop some camera down there and, and camera down there and see what I'm looking at. Like, um, how do these weeds look? Are there more bluegills around? And I'm just only you know like. Because, uh, you know, when you fish shallow water, you don't, they have to literally be 
directly under your hold for them to mark them on your Vexlar. So a camera you can actually see. And you can go even shallower. I mean, I, not in northern Minnesota, but down in the cities, I've caught bluegills in the wintertime as shallow as three feet. Now, you ain't marking shit on your Vexlar then. Um, you're sight fishing at that moment. So I really need to find where the hell I put my camera. Because <laughs> while I'm looking for that, i got something else to look for. I'll get to that in a bit. Um, so that was uh, Saturday I did that. Sunday uh, I, I slept in, and then I went to uh, – got all geared up, so I was going to watch the game. And then uh, I was going to watch the first half of the Vikings game and then go fishing afterwards. So I headed out to Black Duck for that. As uh, Mel George's resort right on Elephant Lake, which is just down the road from Black Duck. And so I watched first half of the game there, and then I headed out and went fishing on Black Duck. And I bought um, about a few sucker minnows and a, and a tip-up. I'm like, ah, I'm going to do this. Um, didn't really have, like, I didn't have any quick strike rigs at the bait shop. I'm like, dang it. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to go straight hook to Black Line. You know, how is that any different from a leader? You know, a metal leader, right? Pike don't seem to mind. I'm going to try it anyway. So that's what I did. And I set that up, and I moved it, you know, as I kind of drilled. I drilled way the heck out into the deep basin. It came back up into the shallows along this point, along this big weed flat. I drilled a crap ton of holes. And uh, I'm hoofing it this whole time. Like, I've <laughs> I've put on the miles this weekend. And uh, I'm drilling around. And the crazy thing, like, I've fished this spot now, like, I don't know, three, four times, something like that. And this time around, like, first I got really excited because I started marking these fish um, suspended. I was like, oh, yes, an actual school of fish. So I start fishing them, and they're chasing, but I'm not getting any bites. So I go down to break out the schoolie reel again. I bring that down there, go super finesse. Still not getting any bites, but things are chasing. I finally came to the conclusion the way these things are flickering and coming and going, this is a giant school of minnow, bait fish, shiners or something. And those things were like the little perch on Pelican. They were in almost every single hole. And I covered a large area. I mean, I covered from the farthest two holes I drilled that day, I bet there was 200 yards in between them, maybe more. I mean, like, I show you on a map. Like it, like I covered some ground. I was trying. I was trolling. I was trying to find some fish, and I just kept finding these big schools of bait fish. And of course, then you think, well, if the bait fish are around, the predators got to be around too. Not necessarily. Apparently, I mean, I tried getting to the edge of the bait and could never find the edge because they were just everywhere. Again, they were over deep water. They were over shallow water. It was crazy. And of course, that lake is full of little tiny perch too. Um, so if you went below the the bait, you then you all you did was catch uh, perch, which is weird because if you drop your lure down, you'll see the perch come off the bottom to meet your lure as it's going through the the school of bait fish. But they're not coming up to fuck with the bait ship, the bait fish at all. I don't know what that's about, but anyways, I didn't have my tip up down, you know, and I kind of if it didn't move. In a half hour, if I didn't get a flag in a half hour, I moved it. I just kept kept following me around. You know, I'd get so far away from it, and then I'd go back and I'd move it to like the last hole I drilled. I'd drill out another big section, you know, and I would keep kind of hopscotching like that. 
And uh, finally, I'm doing that, and I look back. After I get done drilling my new set of holes, of course, I'm on the far end. I look up, and sure enough, that flag is sticking straight up. I'm like, oh, got a flag. And I hurry over there, um, fire up the camera. Uh, I'm Snapchatting, or no, I'm just, no, just straight recording it. That's what I was doing. And uh, sure enough, the wheel's spinning. <sighs> I don't tip up fish that much. I really should do it more because I used to do it a lot way back in the day. And, man, that's fun. Like, when that wheel is spinning, God, that just gets the heart going, doesn't it? God, that's so much fun. So, anyways, I'm doing that. Wheel spinning. I'm super excited. Set the hook on it. Fish on. You know, it doesn't feel huge, but it doesn't feel little either. If I had to guess, it was probably a three to five pound pike. And I have to guess because after this fight, get him right to the hole and boom, cuts. Cuts through the tip-up line. Now, I get it. That, you know, it's it's 50-pound line, but it's like... It's not even as tough as braid, really. You know what I mean? I don't know what that stuff is made of. Just straight nylon, I think. Like, it's not it's not tough at all. And so, yeah, I never got to see that fish. Didn't help either that I'm using my 6-inch auger. So, <laughs> like, uh, I mean, I could have taken my drill off and put it on the clamp plate and put it on my, um, you know, my, my uh, uh, 8-inch. Why can't I think of the name of that auger now? Oh, my God. K-Drill, which I haven't used in forever. But I know I probably need new blades on the K-Drill. That just seems like a lot of work. I'll just try it with – I'll just – if I catch a big one, I'll deal with it. Now, he would have fit up the hole, but I I don't want to say I horsed him, but I I couldn't really see him – because the ice was probably in that section 12 to 14 inches, but there was a good six inches of, like, snowpack ice. You couldn't really – I couldn't see. It was dark down there. I couldn't I, – I didn't really know how close he was to um, the bottom of the hole. You know, I never got to my sinker. So, I don't know, maybe I need a little line marker that tells me the thickness of the ice. When I get to that, I know to, like, okay, time to be real careful. I don't know that it would have mattered because if he had it in his mouth that much where he was able to fray that tip-up line, but that was, yeah. So that's fun. Um, well, the other funny part is I, I in the back of my uh, Vexlar case, I have there's a little tack box that comes with that little holder back there. So I would put hooks and, and weights and random stuff back there. So I go to grab that, and I'm putting my weights because I bought some split shots and I bought some more hooks at the bait shop. I'm putting those in the tackle box, and in that little tackle box, there's a quick strike rig. It's like, oh, son of a. But there's no swivel thing on it, and I didn't have any swivels. So mental note, I need to go buy some swivels for the next time so I can tie a swivel on, then the quick strike rig, then I should be golden. I shouldn't really have to worry about uh, getting cut off anymore. But that was a ton of fun. Never did catch any um, crappies or bluegills that trip. Just, like, continued to run into um, the baitfish everywhere and little perch everywhere. It was nuts. So I moved the tip up a couple more times. And then at the end of the night, like the last 15, 20 minutes, I pretty much just stared at my tip up because... And I knew I was getting close, but I hadn't charged my Vexlar in a while. And you know, I got the, the lithium battery in there. And if you know lithium, like, they don't get weak. They just turn off. So <laughs> it was working great. And then I walked over to it, and I'm like, ah, oh, crap. 
it's off. I knew that was coming. So then I was fishing the blind. I chose to just not fish in the blind. Um, with yeah, I just was like, well, I guess I'm just watching this flag for till it gets dark, which is what I did, and it never went up. So I had the the one fish that day. Um, cool thing, both lakes, pelican and uh, black duck, tons of critter tracks out on the lake. There's deer tracks, there's coyote tracks, uh, fox, wolf, like it's nuts. Um, you know, you wouldn't think you'd see that many coyotes in wolf country, but they're here. I mean, I don't know if they run, how they must run for their life. Cause I know wolves kill coyotes. Um, it's like the kind of rule of thumb I've always heard is like wolves will tolerate Fox cause they're not really competitors for food, but they don't, they do not, uh, tolerate coyotes very well. And it's pretty night and day. I mean, the size difference, like that's not a small wolf. That's a coyote. Like that's like medium-sized dog track and then you see a wolf track like that's a wolf track <laughs> there's no doubt about it and of course the the uh fox tracks are super tiny almost like cat tracks but they're not a couple times i thought maybe i saw like bobcat tracks but they weren't I, upon closer inspections they were they were a fox or coyote but so that's that was pretty cool um it was really neat on Pelican to see this expansive white, and then you you can see when you when you cut a, a wolf track, and you can just see how like where it came from, where it went, and you can see the trails like crisscrossing each other. You're like, ah, just kind of cool. Makes you want to sit out there on like a full moon night and just watch and you know try to catch them, just just to see them, you know, not to hunt them or shoot them or anything, just to just to see them. Uh, wolves are cool. Hopefully, we get a season at some point in time here. That would be. That would be pretty phenomenal. But, uh, yeah, going into next year. So what I've learned this year, once I get my wheeler out, well, a a couple things. I need to fix it. I need to get it back to being a four-wheel drive, not a three-wheel drive, which is part of the reason I got stuck. Probably a big reason I got stuck. Um, Either fix or put a new winch on it. Another nice safety net that had I had, I would have my four-wheeler right now. But the way this, um, the way this season has gone, however, um, with all the snow and the slush, like wheelers weren't really a viable option up here. You can do okay now. All the lakes have kind of firmed up. There's still a few slushy spots. They even pop through just walking on the ice. Um, but for the most part, it's pretty good. Um, you could, you can get around with the wheel. If you did pop through, I think you'd be fine. I think you could get through it. Um, but a snow machine, you know, a snowmobile is, is your, is your go-to thing right now. But I almost like, I really contemplated buying one of these years ago when I first started full scale up and I kind of regret not doing it. And I think that's going to be like my next investment. And I mentioned it earlier and that's going to be an Argo. Um, I don't know. I'll probably still keep the four-wheeler just because they come in handy. They're easy, you know, lighter, easier to maneuver. You know, in times I don't need the Argo, I'll use the the wheeler's just more convenient, I think. Who knows? I, but I might really like the Argo. Well, I think that's because frozen, not frozen, I can take that thing over bog swamps. I can take that thing into so many places. Now, the only question I have is, like, there's some trails that are, like, snowmobile only. Can you use an Argo on those? Probably not. It's not a snowmobile. But they have tracks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know. But there's so many places I could I could take that up here um, and just have the 
the confidence that like I'm not getting stuck because those things you always have a winch on those things too you know like if somehow you manage to get one of them things stuck you can winch your way out so that they're they're spendy it's kind of like buying a side-by-side you know they're not they're not cheap they're they're about twice as much as a four-wheeler and i'm gonna i probably won't oh i not probably i won't buy a brand new one but i'll look for a good a good used one and i want one with tracks too i don't want it with the wheels it's gotta gotta have tracks you know one of the um the criticisms i got when i was throwing that idea around with my buddies were like you don't want an argo they're slow they only go like 30 miles an hour well here's the thing so my four-wheeler goes faster than that i think my four-wheeler goes like 50 maybe or 54 i can't remember what i had it up to one time out on the you know dry pavement just ripping but you don't go that fast on the ice like ever you hit one drift or a chunk of ice or whatever you're yard sailing everything so it's like in all the years uh, fishing tournaments i never really went much faster than 30 anyways maybe a few select times real short window but did it really matter i don't think so you know so to have the presence of mind and not have to worry about slush or being stuck or doing whatever uh and you got you don't it's got the storage too so like i don't have to like rig up some sort of milk crate cart for all my stuff or my tournament stuff like i could just it would you could rig out an argo pretty slick for a tournament i think it'd be awesome and it'd be different everybody would know it's you for better or for worse everybody is going to know it's you it'd be a cool machine i just think they'd be a lot of fun too so uh i don't know we'll see maybe this time next year i'll have some good uh, argo stories uh that would be pretty badass but if not that then i definitely have to in- invest in like a cheap um, snowmobile just in case we get a crap ton of snow and then just have the wheeler and have the snowmobile and that way I got you know kind of the best of both worlds but as we know again on super slush years even sleds are tricky they're not good and last last year Minnesota made it was bad on the one lake and people's tracks are freezing up like it wasn't good it was not good and it's not to say that maybe they wouldn't freeze up on an Argo either I guess I don't know I don't have experience with that but I think I would just have more confidence with an Argo. And they're badass. So, well, that's where I'm at with that. Um, here's your stranded four-wheeler update. Oh, my God. So I wanted to go over this for uh, my rant. It's not really much for a rant. I just wanted to cover this. I shared it in the full-scale outdoors group on Facebook. Um, but Minnesota is considering revamping its record fish program. So, you know, the title of this article is Outdoor uh outdoor life article you know this is opening a door for a new state record walleye but it's not just the walleye that it could really be um changing and i i kind of i kind of like this so i just want to go through this uh i want to go through this article um minnesota's book of fishing records could soon be rewritten according to a new proposal from the state department of natural resources under the proposal that was released earlier this month. The DNR would reclassify 12 of its current state records as historic while adding a certified weight category for each of those 12 species. The change would give anglers a chance to break records that have been in the books for years, including the coveted walleye state record that was established 40 years ago. 
The agency is also proposing to expand its record fish program by making several additional species eligible for catch and release records over the next few years. The DNR says that the revamp of the century-old record program is necessary because some of the records established before 1980 would not be considered legitimate by today's standards. I think that's key. Uh, up until that year, the DNR didn't require potential record fish to be weighed on a state-certified scale, which is now this is a requirement for nearly every fish program in the country, as well as the IGFA, International Game Fish Association, which is ultimately is the ultimate authority on fishing records worldwide. Going back even farther, the DNR didn't even keep formal records before 1950, which means that some of the state record fish were accepted without any proof other than the angler's claims. And we know how fishermen lie. <laughs> I added that part <laughs> to the article. We're not saying those records are not valid. What we're saying is that prior to 1980, we didn't require certified weights. We don't have a lot of information available on some of those older records. In fact, we have no information on some of them. DNR Fisheries Manager Sharon Fisher told Outdoor News. So there's been a group of us talking about this for the past couple of years, and we just decided let's put this out there and see what people think. Under its current proposal, the DNR would reclassify 12 state records as historic while also creating new certified weight category for each of those species. Black crappie, bluegill, brown bullhead, channel catfish, coho salmon, common carp, flathead catfish, lake trout, northern pike, smallmouth bass, walleye, and yellow perch. Fisher says the Minnesota anglers have supported the idea thus far, especially since it would give them the opportunity to replace some state records that have seemed unbeatable for generations now. Chief among these is the state record walleye that was caught by Leroy, uh, sorry, Leroy, um, Leroy Chiovite, vet, vit, vit, uh, I don't know, C-H-I-O-V-I-T-T-E. Anyways, Leroy, in 1979. Leroy's fish weighed 17 pounds, 8 ounces, according to the DNR's record book. But since he caught the fish a year before certified scales became a requirement, the legitimacy of that number will forever remain in question. A few diehard walleye fishermen have come dangerously close to breaking that record, however. In 2012, professional fishing guide Don Mickle caught a walleye in the Rainy River that was reportedly half an inch shorter than Leroy's record fish, but much girthier. Mickle's walleye weighed 17 pounds and 9 ounces, according to his hand scale, but strict possession regulations required him to throw the fish back before he could make it to a state-certified scale. Walleyes are the most iconic game fish, yada, 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 who cares, walleyes are boring. Uh, importantly, DNR would establish what it calls minimum starting weights, for walleye and other 11 species as part of its reclassification process. It's unclear what those minimum weights would be, but theoretically the first person to catch a walleye over that minimum weight would be the new state record holder in the certified weight category. In other words, DNR isn't proposing to declare a new state record walleye right away. The agency would simply open the door for future record submissions, and there could eventually be two state walleye records recognized by the DNR, one historic record and one certified weight record. Expanding the catch and release. The other significant piece of the DNR's recent proposal is the expansion of its catch and release record category. The category was established six years ago in response to demands from conservation-minded anglers, some of who complained that they'd rather set a record-sized fish free instead of killing it just to have their name in the record book. 
While catch and release records, with catch and release records, anglers don't have to make that choice. Unlike traditional weigh-based records, which require the fish to be brought in and weighed in on a survey scale, all that is needed for a potential catch and release records are quality photos of the fish, length, girth measurements, and a witness. It's a problem for me as I fish alone <laughs> a lot of the time. Uh, the DNR now has a separate application process for catch and release records, and with more anglers preaching about conservation ethics these days, the agency feels the need to expand the category. As it stands now, only four species are eligible for catch and release record. Those are flathead catfish, lake sturgeon, muskies, and northern pike. The DNR is proposing to add a total of 18 species to this list over a three-year span as follows. 2024, blue sucker, bowfin, channel catfish, freshwater jump, shovel-nose sturgeon, and tiger muskies. I'm really surprised on the blue sucker one. How common is that? <laughs> like that's, I mean, I'd like to catch one to say I caught one, but I mean, how many anglers in Minnesota can even lay claim that they even caught a blue sucker? I'm surprised that they threw that in there. Not only did they threw that in there at all, but that was like, this could be one of the first ones. Like that's that's crazy. Anyways, moving on. And then in 2025, they're going to go big mouth buffalo, lake trout, largemouth bass, rainbow trout, smallmouth bass, and smallmouth buffalo. Why that must, is that somehow, oh, that's in um, alphabetical order going off of big mouth to smallmouth. Like, why wouldn't you put big mouth and smallmouth buffalo together? Da, da, whatever. Never mind. It's just neither here nor there. <laughs> Same thing. Why don't you put largemouth bass and, and smallmouth bass right next to you? Got rainbow trout in between them. What the heck? <sighs> Anyways, and then in 2026 they're gonna go brook trout, brown trout, long nose gar, sauger, short nose gar, and walleye. Again, why are you doing the long nose gar, sauger, then short nose gar? It's 100% it's alphabetical order, but that's stupid. The end goal here is to give anglers the opportunity to seek record recognition while still practicing catch and release. The ethical consideration helps maintain healthy fisheries and is especially important when managing for trophy species like lake trout and muskie, which grow very large but very slowly and make poor table fare anyway. It's less critical. You know, I don't know that that's a fair statement. You say poor table. Yeah, it's all on how you make it. But anyways, I'm glad the bigger ones are getting let go. Uh, let's not dwell on that. It's less critical when catching walleye, sauger, and other species, and the DNR has clarified that it will continue to support the regulated harvest of sustainable fish stocks. That's one thing we want to emphasize too, Fisher said. The agency's proposal, we're not out here saying everybody should be doing catch and release. It's a great opportunity to catch and release these larger fish, sure. That's part of why we want to do the catch and release options, but we're also not adverse to harvest. So that was... Uh, yeah, so it's online. If you go to the face, the Full Scale Outdoors group, I have a link to that article. Otherwise, I'm sure you can find it if you go to uh, Outdoor Life. Um, I like that idea. Um, I really like that idea. I think that's – and I, I think a lot of those historic records are probably bullshit, at least conservatively bullshit within a few ounces. You know, you tell it's not a certified scale, and I know some of those. Some of those records are like – hearsay it's like ah oh, george said it was you know 14 pounds or whatever like they're bullshit and so instead of just completely throwing them out which i don't think is like even if they're not what they say they are they're still amazingly huge fish right they're still a, a very special upper echelon fish um i think that's a great category 
the historic category because you can then get your certified weight. That's great. It's proven. It's certified. That stands. We're going to acknowledge that. And you it's not to say that you still couldn't maybe someday beat even the historic one. And then you'd have like you'd hold both titles. It's like having the uh, the uh, uh, um, heavyweight and the intercontinental weight belt. WWE, you know, you're holding both belts. <laughs> you got the historic and the certified belt, the walleye belt. That'd be sweet. Maybe we can talk to DNR and making uh, belts. That'd be that'd be for the champs. That'd be awesome. Uh, and I think it's going to bring a lot of like trophy hunters to the fishing world too. You know, if they, it depends on where they set those minimum limits. You know, if the historic record is 17 pounds, whatever it is, and they they set the minimum at shit, even 13. How long is it going to be before that thing gets even touched? You know, that's such a... But if they set it at the, I would say, upper end of the realistic scale, they could drum up some really fun um, support and and a race. You know, like somebody... I wouldn't... So for walleyes, like I wouldn't put 10-pound. I think a 10-pound walleye probably gets caught every year in this state. So... Maybe set it at 12. I think 12 would be a good baseline for the certified record. Um, I think that's doable. I think that's very doable. Because um, I, I I think even in my lifetime, I've heard some 14-pounders get caught out of the state. So um, that's very doable. And that way it's like it gets broken, and then maybe it takes three or four years, it gets broken again. You know, it kind of – you kind of want to have that, right? At least I do. I think that would that would make it fun. And also, I think the catch and release things are really important, especially when it comes to bass uh, and muskie for sure. You know, I know we got a new state muskie record out of Mille Lacs, but how many times has that thing probably been busted before and people just let it go? Um, I'm pretty certain that the state record smallmouth has been caught out of Mille Lacs and let go for the same reason. The person just, like, didn't want to kill that fish. So... They let it go. Now that you got the catch and release record, that one's going to be fun. That one's going to be fun to see where that goes with with all the different fish. So, um, yeah, about, about the blue sucker and like long nose gar, those ones are going to be interesting. Those ones could be kind of fun just to get your name in the record book, right? Like, uh, it might not last long, but get in there. You know, like have it in there for a for a, a short bit of time would be would be pretty cool guy had the had the free time to just make it you know once they announced the new catching you know each year just take that that list they just released and that's like your to-do list and just go after getting your name in the record book that'd be pretty fun um still be be a good challenge too for sure so all right everybody that's your uh, weekend recap and rant um don't really have much for you a quick reminder to everybody out there in case you haven't know you don't know so i took a job up here in uh, Net Lake, Minnesota, or Minnesota area, I'm working for uh, Boys Fort Tribal Community Radio, KBFT 89.9 FM. Not on the air. Well, technically I am on the air. That's not my main job. But what I have done is I have developed a fishing report show. So I have um, a new weekly fishing report show that comes out every Friday at 4.30. Then after 4.30, you can just get it online. All you want, just go to kbft.com, or it might be .org or .net. It's one of those two. If you just Google KBFT, it's going to come up. So you can listen to that. Um, and yeah, I'm getting them every week. So like Wednesday nights, I'm usually doing the rounds and I got, uh, guides from like the woods. I got guide from 
Devil's Lake, Turtle Mountain area, Red Lake. I'm covering. I'm covering this area, of course. Uh, I got a guy down in Mille Lacs. So kind of covering the Northland. I think I call it the Northwoods Fishing Report. So just so everybody knows, if you want, if you're headed north, you're going to Red Lake. You want updated information. Go on KBFT and uh, find the the Northwoods Fishing Report and click on that, and you'll hear my lovely voice yet again talking about fishing and rambling on. Actually, you're going to hear uh, not as much of me as you're going to hear other guides. So that sounds like a win-win. <laughs> so check that out. And also, if you would, it is a community radio station. And on our website, and there's a mobile app, there's a mobile version of the website, There, there is a donate button. And uh, community radio, and this is like your public funding pledge drive, right? Your, your Channel 2 PBS if you enjoy this programming, <laughs> that whole spiel, that's my spiel. And that's actually my job at the station is to do that spiel and uh, keep the doors open at KBFT. So it is member-supported. We do we do need your support. Um, any, and any little bit helps. Honest to God, just throw a dollar. You know, hit the hit the donate button, send a dollar, five bucks, whatever you got. Um, it goes to that radio station, keeping that program going. And it also uh, really does help the people in this community get the information that they need so that's my pitch for the station thanks everybody uh, for listening i appreciate each and every one of you whatever your passion pursue it full scale Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.